Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, uh, June the 15th, 2016, and this is episode uh, 1700, I'm sorry, 1808 of the Survival Podcast. Wednesday, so it's interview day. I have Darren Ward will be bringing an interview with you today. He is the founder of a company called Kids Double Desk. It's got a really interesting story behind it. We're going to talk mostly, though, not about a desk, but about business and, and starting a business and, and the trials of starting a business, how hard it can be. And uh, you'll hear a true story of an impassioned entrepreneur struggling to make it work today instead of like, you know, the story you always hear after they made it work. That's that's we, You're used to hearing that, and we become, I think, maybe romanticized with, you know, what it's going to be like to start a business. I think this will be a grounding episode and a really cool episode. And Darren also has his product out on Kickstarter starting today. It is a cool product. I've already become the first backer of the project. I will be finishing mine, and you'll hear about why you would need to finish it. I will be finishing mine for my soon-to-be granddaughter, Tegan, and my grandson, Braylon. You might consider backing his Kickstarter today after hearing about this as well. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. One of my favorite people I get to work with at TSP is Chef Keith Snow of HarvestEating.com. Chef Keith can teach you to cook fantastic meals, develop a great food storage program, and more. He is also the source of my favorite line of spices and seasoning mixes that I use in all my weekly cooking. Check out his products, great blog, and podcast at HarvestEating.com. Hey folks, when I started TSP over eight years ago now, the first company to ever offer to sponsor the show was SafeCastle. And they've remained a loyal sponsor ever since February of 2009. And did you know they give away a lifetime discount membership to all MSB members? They do. And that can save you big money on everything you can imagine for your prepping needs. And with SafeCastle, I do mean everything. Check out SafeCastle.com today to learn more. And with that, let us take a look at the year that was the episode. We have the Rum Rebellion and the Dirty Dozen, and we have the Ballad of Omi Weiss. We also have, in other news, in 1808, Captain Samuel Brown patents the anchor chain, the iron anchor chain. It'll be used for over 100 years after that. Henry Crabb Robinson becomes the first war correspondent in history. They send him off to uh, take a look at the war between Napoleon and Spain. He comes back later and decides, I'd rather be a lawyer than do this. And Beethoven's Fifth Symphony premieres in Vienna. The intro to it, of course, is very, very distinguishable. We all know it. We're all familiar with it. I'll see if I can do it with my mouth. Of course, that was actually a little clip from YouTube there, but... Uh, We are very familiar with that. I think that's, that's like one of those pieces of music that everybody has heard, no matter what you actually like as far as music. You hear that, and you know, that's Beethoven. That's how famous Beethoven was. Well, that started this year, 1808. I am going to read for you guys, though, um, The Rum Rebellion and The Dirty Dozen. William Bly has been governor of New South Wales, Australia, for a little over a year now. It is a place where the United Kingdom sends its criminals and malcontents because they can't sell them to America anymore. Governor Bly has a reputation as a tough guy. He was the captain of the HMS Bounty, whose crews mutinied due to ill treatment. The review board absolved Captain Bly of blame, but he remains a controversial subject. When he arrives in Australia, he was greeted by Major Johnson, who represented the military, and Mr. MacArthur, who represented the civilians. 
Neither of them are sweethearts, but they make things work. As governor, Bly starts handing out relief supplies to farmers who had been suffered under a recent flood, but Australia is run under a barter economy. Those supplies were Australian money. Bly is putting a stop to the use of rum as money. He begins confiscating stills, but he is still meeting with a lot of resistance. Can you say Whiskey Rebellion? Soon the establishment is calling for his head. Major Johnson officially signs a warrant for the governor's arrest. A military contingent marches the governor's, to the governor's house and yanks Bly out from under his bed. Eventually they put him on a boat and tell him to sail back to England. Naturally, he sails to Tasmania. He will be briefly reinstated as governor and recalled to England. The Australians were actually making a go of it, but the British wanted Australians to suffer in the largest free-range prison in the world. Governor Bly's goal was to be the warden. A cartoon drawn was show, a cartoon was drawn showing Bly being pulled from under his bed. It became the first political cartoon in Australia. Major Johnson was quote-unquote dishonorably discharged. It was the lightest sentence they could give. Bly was promoted to rear admiral and never given a command again. It was up and out, as they say in the military. Incompetents are sometimes promoted into a position where they stay out of sight. Or you collect all the bad eggs in one basket and then drop the basket. In other words, you send all the undesirables into a battle as a group where they are sure to kill everyone, including themselves. I don't know if this happens today, but up through World War II, it certainly did. A popular movie depicting this as real policy is The Dirty Dozen from 1967, where murderers and insubordinate subjects, uh, soldiers are sent on a suicide mission, but if they see, succeed, they will be reinstated. It's still a good movie. It is a good movie. Dirty Dozen is one of the best World War II movies to come out of that whole time frame, especially all the World War II movies that were made in the 60s. Anyway, you know what this makes me think is it's just... It, 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 it's it, it's typical of a government. You take people and you send them to a place and you say, well, you're in prison, you got to see to yourself. And then you say, well, you, you can't really do that. We're going to apply government and can't use whiskey as more rum as money in this case because, well, we'd like to tax you, please, even though we've sent you here as a punishment. Um, and I think what it is is a government being afraid, hey, these guys might actually just make it work without us and not need us anymore. Which Australia sort of did, but never really completely got out from underneath the whole Commonwealth thing. Um, I would tell you this. That's how I feel about you guys in Canada, too. Um, if you have somebody else's leader on your money, your nation is not sovereign. Uh, I, I'm just saying. Um, but with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. Introducing my special guest, Darren Ward, who is the founder, of, again, of a company called Kids Double Desk. It's a really cool product. I think you'll like it if you take a look at it. But I think what's going to be more interesting is Darren's story of what it really takes to start a business from nothing. And that's what he's doing. And that's what he's done up to this point. And with that, hey, Darren, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Well, thanks, Jack. Great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. I have you on today to talk about uh, starting a business, a pretty innovative and interesting business that you've started. Uh, but let's start out with, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and, and the path that got you here. Uh, kind of. Take us back to when you were trying to figure out what you wanted to do for a living, and now you're doing this entrepreneurial thing. How that one end get connected to the other? Yeah, that that um, is kind of a circuitous path. Um, you know, born in in California, um, raised there up until I was about 11 years old. Had three little girls or sisters, I mean, and uh, it wasn't really a nice neighborhood. Um, so, you know, come about that age, uh, things are getting a little bad. There was actually a kidnapping attempt on me. Um, it wasn't real serious. Didn't have to run for my life, but 
you know, guy tried to get me in the car. And oh, he's I, pretty serious. <laughs> I mean, but, it worked yeah, out I mean, all right, but that's pretty serious shit. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, they didn't get me in the car. Um, you know, I stayed with a bunch of other school kids and, and yelled and, you know, um, you know, so it wasn't like I had to break out of handcuffs or anything and, uh, you know, escape a, a trunk of a car. Um, but, you know, it was like a, four or five months later, the same thing happened to my sister, too. And so my parents were like, that's enough. We're getting out of here. Um, so we actually made the trip over to Colorado. And there we landed um, on, <laughs> it was really a blessing, uh, 640 acres, uh, a section of land, an old farmhouse that we rented from a, a farmer. And um, I had the run of the land. And that's where we picked up, you know, things like gardening and canning and shooting prairie dogs. That was quite a pastime of mine. Um, and even hypnotizing chickens. Uh, you know, a kid who's 11, 12 years old, <laughs> an old farmer taught me how to hypnotize a chicken, and um, it was fun. Um, so, so those were good times. Um, I was homeschooled for four years. Um, you know, the local school out there was, was smaller, um, you know, 52 students, K through 12, um, you know, so every other year, a group of kids got one grade and then the other. And so it didn't work out for me. I went from sixth grade, uh, to eighth grade, you know, so I'm in algebra two instead of having algebra one. And my parents were like, that's enough. So they yanked me out after three quarters of a year and and then we homeschooled for four years um i was able to get caught back up um you know and then state testing was you know still mandatory um so i did that and i tested above grade average um so you know that worked out pretty well but you know my junior senior year i was like all right uh, i need to go back to public school you know by then my, my dad had uh, become injured and my mom went back to work so I was trying to school myself at that point, and, and you know, that's before resources of the Internet. Um, so I did go back to high school for my junior and senior year. Um, but I touched on something there about my dad. My dad was a machinist in California, but in Colorado, he wanted to be an entrepreneur. And he did what he had to do to make ends meet. Uh, he had a flatbed truck and started a trash business. Um and I saw the freedom that he had. And in fact, I had some of that freedom. Uh, sometimes I would double up on my homework during the school year and then take a day off and join him. You know, I didn't care that it was, you know, throwing trash in a truck. Um, you know, what I enjoyed was hanging out with dad, um, you know, and, and learning quite a bit of skills. Um, there wasn't anything my dad couldn't fix, you know, so I swapped engines, done electrical work. You know, we cut firewood. Um, uh, he made a solar system that kept uh, a passive solar system that kept the bathroom on the north side of the farmhouse warm. Um, uh, he made a little uh, electric windmill generator that kept the battery in the attic charged. And we had uh, some DC lights throughout the house. That way, when thunderstorms rolled through, um, you know, uh, the power usually went out. <laughs> But but we had emergency lighting, um, so I, I learned quite a bit. Um, come my senior year, though, um, 
my parents ended up uh, divorcing after 20 years of marriage. And what does any kid want to do then? He wants to get out. Sure. So um, I joined the military and I told the recruiter, um, take me away <laughs> as far away as I can. And uh, he says, where do you want to go? I said, how about Japan? It sounds great. Um, so I went to the Bella Wood. Uh, I did pick out. I was smart enough, though. You know, I had some uh, older friends who gave me some advice, and they said, don't, don't just take what the recruiter wants to give you. Um, you know, and anybody listening, thinking about the military, um, yeah, that was the best advice ever, was uh, if you don't really know what you want to do, don't just walk into a recruiter's office blindly. Um, you either pick out a job that you think would be interesting to you, or you go in and you ask for a list. And so I sat down to, with the recruiter and I said, give me a list of the jobs that you have. And he goes, ah, we don't really have anything like that. <laughs> and I said, I don't really want to join the military today then. <laughs> well, I actually did. You know what? I, I stood up and said, you know, if you can't give me a list, I'll walk over to the Air Force. Um, and he goes, I'll sit back down. And so he broke out a list um, and he went through it alphabetically. So starting in the A's, and you know how they work, you know, they're, yeah. they're not using civilian terms. And uh, but he got to aerographer's mate, and uh, and I said, okay, what is that? And by that time, he's getting real annoyed with me. And I'm like, hey, I'm not going to give you four years of my life and do something I don't know what it is, uh, you know. So <laughs> interpret, and he goes, a weatherman. And I said, sold. Mm. Uh, so um, it worked out, and uh, I became a weatherman. Uh, enjoyed it immensely. Um, but, you know, like any junior guy joining the military, you know, you're going to be TAD or you may know it as TDY, um, you know, for certain periods of time. I'm doing some grunt work, so I certainly did my share of that. Um, but, you know, when it, if you want to compare my, uh, my time in the military to uh, most other folks, I had it pretty good. I had it really good. So I did two years on the Bella Wood, and then I did um, two years of sea duty. Um, excuse me, two years of shore duty on Guam after that. And, and I loved it. But, uh, you know, the responsibility kind of came slowly. Uh, you know, I advanced as, as quick as you can, um, but I was just impatient, you know, like any 20-something kid. Um, so I got out, you know, after my time. I got out, I landed a pretty good job with a Fortune 500 company, uh, started going to school. Um, it was actually telecommunications is, is what I ended up doing with them. Um, and, uh, and they said, you know what, uh, forget school. Um, we'll teach you everything you need to know. So I'm like, all right. So that's what I did. Uh, got married and had some kids. Um, uh, it's, it's really been great. I, you know, I've really been blessed. Um, I don't have any, any real c complaints. So we spent about 10 years in, uh, Colorado and, uh, and then by then both of my parents had passed away and, and one of my sisters, uh, was killed in a car accident. And, uh, my wife is from Missouri, uh, and her, her parents are getting up there and showing some, you know, early signs of Alzheimer's and things like that. Um, and I saw my dad go uh, with Alzheimer's, one of the toughest things ever. Um, so 
uh, I told my wife, um, you know, if you want to move to Missouri, we can make it happen. Uh, by then, my employer had closed the, the plant, and I was working from home. So I, I actually worked from home for about a year, um, you know, and I, I didn't offer that up to my wife right away. I decided, you know, I want to see how this goes. Let's see if we can make it work, working from home. And, you know, after a year, I said, yeah, this is, is easy enough. So um, I said, honey, do you want to move to Missouri? And she never, ever thought I'd want to move away mm. from uh, the mountains of Colorado. Um, and it was a little tough leaving Colorado, but, you know, family's more important. Um, so I had to peel her off the ceiling from excitement. Mm. Um, she just did not expect that um, at all. So. Um, by then, you know, about the time I, I moved, I, I started making these desks and I'll, I'll give you the story about the desks later, but, um, but we moved here to, to Missouri and, um, we got 10 acres, um, just outside of town. That was the one thing I said, I said, I'll move you to, um, to your family's place, but I don't want to live in town. I want to live just outside of town. Um, and so we're blessed. We landed you know, 10 acres. You know, it's been hayed. It's, it's not forested. So I'm working on that. And I've got, you know, a few dozen fruit trees and um, about 100 blackberry bushes and a small strawberry patch. Um, we do have a pond so the kids can fish back there. And uh, it's been a blessing. Um, but the whole time I was in corporate America, you know, I, I always remembered, um, you know, throwing trash with my dad and, and the freedom that we had. Not that he took a lot of time off, you know, because like, you know, running a business, you probably work harder than you do for corporate America. Um, uh, but there's there's just a sense of peace about it. And, um, you know, you do have that flexibility once you're well established. Um you know, my mom had a cleaning business for a while, and, and I used to go help her clean homes, too, when I was pretty young. Um, so, you know, that's always tugged at me. I've always wanted to run my own business, not necessarily quit my job and do it full time. I think that would be great if I could. Um, but, you know, we'll take one step at a time. <laughs> sure. Sure. So, so sorry. Oh, go ahead. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it, Jack. So what, what exactly are you doing now? You mentioned these desks, and you're, you're in the physical product world there, um, which can be great uh, because it's hard for a competitor to duplicate, but it has its challenges. So uh, why did you decide to go that route? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So, you know, in my first 10 years of marriage or so, I'd always come up with these different ideas. You know, honey, you're an exercise physiologist. You know, I could figure out a website. We could do online fitness, you know, um, you know, and she poo-pooed that idea. No, I don't want the liability and this and that. And I always had these, these different ideas, but I knew if I was really going to be successful at anything, I needed her support. I needed 100% support. And so like any guy who wants to be an entrepreneur, you know, we're all full of ideas. But I needed an idea that she would actually back to. That was that was the most important thing to me. Um, so when we had kids, uh, my mom said, hey, do you want this desk? Uh, and I was like, you still have it? I had no idea. She still had it in the back of a closet somewhere because um, I had it when I was young and, and it was hers. 
So this desk is actually my grandfather's invention. Um, so, you know, in 1952, uh, he and his, his wife had twins. And they also ran, uh, you know, it didn't occur to me until just a few months ago. Uh, he was an entrepreneur too. Uh, too. His, his wife and him both were chiropractors and they opened up their own office. Um, but, you know, having toddlers running around is, is kind of difficult. Um, so he invented this desk. Um, and then, uh, you know, when, when my mom outgrew it, he, he gave it to her and, you know, so I grew up on the desk too, and uh, she put it away. And so when I had uh, when I had my first kid, she said, "Do you want it?" And I was like, "Wow, that yeah, absolutely." And it was in pretty rough shape; um, looked like it had gotten wet. Uh, so I went out to the garage and I duplicated it, um, and it was a hit. You know, every time somebody came over, they're like, "Wow, what is that? That's just amazing." And they all say the same thing: "I've never seen anything quite like it before." I hear that line all the time. Never seen anything quite like it before. So I went back out to the garage when my sister was going to have a kid. Um, well, I guess she was about a toddler. And uh, and I made one for a Christmas present. And uh, and they loved it. And uh, from there, friends started asking. So, I, you know, it takes a long time to hand make them in the garage. But I, I made maybe a dozen of them. Uh, you know, I gave one to my kids' preschool at the time. Um, but I had my wife's support. I said, honey, I think I want to go into business making this. And she said, I think it'd be a hit. So that's why I chose it. If I could do it over again, <laughs> uh, you know, it certainly had some challenges. I don't know if I'd change anything, but gosh, part of me really wishes I got into something that was more digital because um, it <laughs> certainly has its challenges. Sure. I mean, you can sell it, but then you got to make it. You know, that's 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 the challenge. Make it, and you got to ship it. Um, so, yeah, something that I discovered with this is the design of the desk that I made in, in you know in the garage, handmade, um, needed to actually be altered for mass production. You know, because I could be out there on my workbench and I could make a ninety degree corner, but mass production, you've got to use a CNC router. Well, you're not going to get perfect 90-degree corners, which means your mortise and tenon joints aren't going to fit up perfectly. Um, so I had to make several design changes. Made design changes for a good uh, uh, fit between joints. Um, I also had to make uh, design changes uh, for safety because, you know, my original version had dowels, but, you know, I don't want to be handing out something with a bunch of small parts and um, that can easily come out. Um, and then we also wanted to optimize material. Um, so I worked with an engineer and he said, okay, I can make like one and a half out of a sheet of plywood. Um, but if you're willing to let me modify a few dimensions, I can get two and we'll save a lot on material. Mm. Um, so there were a lot of lessons learned. Uh, I really understand, you know, when I open something that's store bought, um, you know, oftentimes a product that you get isn't really the best design, you know, for the product. Um, it might be a compromise for shipping or for getting it to fit on a shelf of a store. Yeah, I mean, mass production means this is what I want. I want a product that's optimized to to be able to sell the customer, basically do what I promised, and fit as many of them as I can in a steel shipping container coming here from Shanghai. 
right? Yeah. That's that's the mass production world of today, and you give up things when you do that. And even though you're manufacturing here, uh, you still have to think about the fact that, okay, now i got to get this somewhere. Um, as much as I'm not a big on physical products, I'm working with two other folks on a physical product right now, and more work has gone into how do we make this thing ship affordably than anything else? With Because the, the, the design of the product was, oh, this is what we want, boom, and our it's a cage product, and the guy put it together in like a day, and we made some changes, but not a lot. But then it's like, how do we finagle this so we can go in a flat box, and then the person that gets it can easily assemble it? And, and that became more important than the original design because if I have a product that sells for a hundred bucks, but I have to charge seventy dollars in shipping, I'm not going to sell any of them. Right, right. And and that really was one of my big hurdles. Um, so I've explored a lot of different options along the way. Um, but yeah, you, you know, physical size. You know, a store expects to make X number of dollars for every square inch on a shelf. Yep. Well, yeah. un- unfortunately, you know, by the time you package everything, the biggest uh, piece of this desk is almost 48 inches long. Yeah. And that's just not going to work for retail. No. Um, you know, maybe a big box store like a key or something, but uh, that's not on my radar right now. That, that's a long ways down the road. That's a long ways down the road, but it's a perfect product for that. That's, it is. That is the kind of store that would want to sell this type of a product. It, it, right. I'm looking at it right now on the website and going with the CNC design, you've solved a lot of your problems because I can see that this, this will ship fairly flat. It's still going to be heavy, but that's because it's made out of wood instead of plastic. Right. Um, and it's, it's, it, it looks like something that if it's cared for would be like the one your, your grandfather made that would be there for generations. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, you touched on it. Shipping is a big one. Um, you know, so one thing that we did, um, cause I say we because I'm not doing this by myself. Yeah, I'm the you know sole owner. I formed an, an LLC, uh, you know. Sure. I settled on an LLC after meeting with an attorney because I had, you know, a dozen or two questions for him. Um, I knew I could, you know, file the paperwork and do it myself, but it was worth it to me. You know, to pay him $350, um, you know, to get an hour of his time. Um, and I felt good about that. Um, but in this case, when I say we, I actually ended up with working with a local engineer who's also a wood crafter. Um, so I really needed to find somebody with both the CAD skills uh, and the woodworking skills. And he has a, a very small scale uh, CNC. He really can't do mass production, you know, so he'd take a big sheet of plywood and cut it down, um, you know, to fit on his machine and then cut out the parts for me. Um, but he said, Darren, you know, if we can modify a few of these dimensions, we'll save quite a bit on material, but um, how's your weight? Um, he said, you know, you've made all of this out of three-quarter. You're telling me you want to go to five-eighths, but there's really no reason why um, all of the parts couldn't be a half an inch. Um That'll save quite a bit of weight, except for the seat. You know, let's keep the seat at five-eighths of an inch. Um, so we shaved off 10 pounds, and that adds up when it comes to shipping. Oh, that adds up a lot. A lot of times, another thing I think people don't realize about shipping until you get into a business where you have to pay attention is that it may not just be 10 pounds. It may be that that ninth pound put you to a different weight class. 
Yeah. And the shipping goes up exponentially. It's not like they have a set price and then they met, they weigh it and they, they charge by the ounce or something like that. There's classes of weight. And when you, you go from one class to the next, you, you could have a massive jump. And the same with dimensions, yep. right? Like, so it can be like, if you can cut two inches off sometimes, you can save, you know, 20 bucks, 30 bucks a unit in shipping because once you go past that, and that's something that a lot of people that, that think about doing physical product businesses, don't think about when you get into bulky items or heavy or, or both. Yeah, you're exactly right. Just think of it like a tax bracket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually a really good analogy. It just hurts. Uh, yeah. So yeah. you're doing this, but yet you're still you know working a job. And there's a lot of people in your position or that are thinking about being in your position. They say, I want something of my own, but I can't just... I can't just roll out and, and leave my good, secure job and what have you. So how are you managing that balance? Um, <laughs> the it, best that I can. It, <laughs> it's been a challenge. Let me tell you, it has been a challenge. Um, you know, it's fun when one or two of the kids would get out in the garage with me, you know, when I was making prototypes. Um or I'm painting or sanding or something like that. I'm kind of beyond that point now. Um, so, you know, that's okay. Um, but my goodness, it has been a real big challenge. And so I sacrificed sleep. Uh, that really was one of the biggest things I've done. Um, I've really been head down in this coming up on two years now. Um, you know, past the prototypes. I did a bunch of prototypes, you know, four or five, six years ago. Um, but, uh, you know, here I am kind of a computer and a telecom guy in my nine to five job. And I avoided social media like the plague. Uh, so I did not, because, you know, in my spare time, I'm either, you know, in the, in the mountains or the Rockies, you know, riding my, uh, my mountain bike or, or fishing or, you know, going to sporting events with the kids. Um, you know, I stare at a screen all day long. The last thing I wanted to do was Facebook or MySpace. You know, that's what all my colleagues were doing back then. That has been an enormous learning curve, Jack. Oh, my gosh, you would not believe it. And it was pretty funny because I'd ask my wife a question and she would chuckle. And I would have flashbacks to uh, my dad when he bought me the Commodore VIC-20. Mm -hmm. And he's haunting and pecking on the keyboard. You know, and I'm standing next to him. It's right there. It's super easy, Dad. And I'm like, oh, man, I've turned into that old man who doesn't know how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's certainly been a challenge. Um, but I'll be honest with you. I, I put too much time and energy into it at first. And... Um, you know, my kids and my wife really kind of noticed it. My wife had to come to Jesus meeting with me. And, um, uh, you know, so I really curtailed the time back and I started sacrificing sleep. Um, so I'd work until, you know, two, three in the morning and, and it was okay with me because I was so passionate about doing this. Uh, I was learning so much and I really enjoyed it um, that it didn't feel like work to me. I really enjoyed it that much. The problem was, um, you know, life doesn't stop, right? You know, there's there's no good time to start a business. Um, 
you know, I did put it off a few years. I'm like, no, I'll wait until this is done or I'll wait until that's done or I'll wait until the move is done. Uh, we moved into a smaller house and it had an unfinished basement. So I'm like, here we go again. I got another basement to finish. Um, but I was sacrificing sleep and framing walls. And I'll tell you a story, Jack. Those two don't go together. So I've got a bare concrete wall, and I'm framing just one wall, very simple, got a couple of windows in it. You know, all my studs are 16-inch centers. And when I build a wall, I float it, um, which means I don't build it to the exact dimension. I'm usually like an inch and a half short, and then what? I, then I can lift the wall up, and it's not a struggle. And then I suspend it, and, you know, I pop my nails into the, you know, the floor joists above, and it literally is suspended because it's not a load-bearing wall, right? And I got a base plate and then, um, you know, use a pneumatic hammer and, and finish the wall that way. Really easy to do, 16-inch centers. I built a wall, and I go to put it up, and it's not the right size. And some of my studs aren't parallel. My measurements are just totally off. I'm like, what in the world? I tear the wall apart, and I rebuild it, and I put it back up, and it's wrong again. And I'm like, oh, my freaking goodness, I am so frustrated. And I tear it apart, and I rebuild it a third time. And I kid you not, Jack. I mean, I flipped my boards over. I did brand new measurements, brand new markings. It's easy to do, 16-inch centers. How can you screw it up? And I put it up, and it was wrong again. And I had this flashback to my dad and the dementia that he was going through. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I've got kids. I can't go this soon. i got to raise them first. And I grabbed my wife, and I'm like, let's go talk. You know, I think there's something wrong here. And she goes, you know, it's okay. We'll figure it out. And this is just when the Fitbit came out, and she had a Fitbit. And I kid you not, that night, you know, we would go to bed together. We wake up the next day, and she goes, honey, you're not sleeping. She says, look at my Fitbit. You woke me up almost every 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And she said, and you were kicking quite a bit. And I'm like, I wonder why. Well, we've always suspected I've, you know, I've got restless leg syndrome. Well, I had been downing the coffee, the Mountain Dew, yeah. You know, everything it took to keep going. Well, I found, and I don't know if this is science, I don't know if this is out there for common knowledge, um, but I decided, you know what, I'm going to cut out caffeine, cold turkey. And, you know, I would say it was difficult for me, except that I thought I was actually suffering from dementia and losing my mind. But I cut that out, <clears throat> and I kid you not, in like, a week, the restless leg syndrome was gone, and she kept checking her Fitbit every morning, and she's like, you know what? You didn't wake me up once. And and I quit working on the business for a few weeks. I said, I'm going to take a few weeks off and not do a thing. Kids go to bed. You go to bed, 9, 30, 10 o'clock. I'm in bed. And that's what I did. And I'm like, I felt so much better after just a few days of doing that. And so I learned the hard way that I need to pace myself. So I, I jumped in this, um, you know, with, with every bit of energy that I had. Um, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, but I learned that I had to pace myself. And so that's why this has been 
kind of a long road uh, for me, you know, since uh, the final prototype to getting it on the market and now my Kickstarter campaign, um, you know, which just launched today. Um, so kind of excited about it. Very cool. So your Kickstarter just launched today. That is correct. It did. Yep. That's awesome. That's I got, good, you know, that good timing. <laughs> from Dorothy and yeah, what a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, I remember some discussions about that now with her. And I, I think that's a big thing. Like I've always been big on the whole, you know, you got plenty of time between like when the kids go to bed and three o'clock in the morning. Um, and there's a place for that, but it has to be managed and it has to be managed within your physical limits. And I'm with you on the caffeine. I, I, I don't really drink much coffee anymore because I was drinking about three pots of coffee a day. And um, I switched to herbal tea, and um, I drank an herbal tea blend for uh, about two months and didn't have coffee other than when we had an event here or when we were at a restaurant. And I did use some green tea in it. I think that made it a lot easier to to go from, you know, drinking a lot of caffeine every day to drinking a very little bit. And by little bit, I mean like, oh, there was 6, 12, and 9, uh, what, 21 parts of mix in this tea, and 3 was green tea. So it's a fairly mild amount. But um, I ran out of green tea and switched to blackberry leaf instead of the green tea and nothing, right? And I think it's because I weaned off of it, so... I'd advise people in your position, if you can go cold turkey, great, but you know there are other ways to wean off of that. And it is one of those things, if you're not sleeping. So it's one thing to be up a lot of hours. It's another thing that the hours you do lay down, you're not asleep. That's yeah. that's a problem. You know That can right. disrupt your whole... Well, your circadian rhythm is what you're screwing up at that point, right? So now the body's out of rhythm. That means all the body systems go out of whack. And uh, it's part of being an entrepreneur, but you have to you have to know when to say. And it sounds like you did to say enough. I have to I have to step back for a moment. Yeah, yeah, that was quite a wake up call. I'm you know I'm 44 years old, so I can't burn the midnight oil like I did in my 20s. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing you learn too, boy. You try to do yeah. what you used to do. Um, tell me about some of your other challenges along the way. I mean, that obviously was a physical and spiritual challenge, but like like the physical challenges or things just not working or and how you got around it. Right, right. You know, we've touched on, on a number of those, um, the manufacturing. Um, you know, when I moved here and we got settled, um, I started searching for a manufacturer, and I found one that was only like 90 minutes away, um, you know, and, and he runs out of his workshop out on a farm, uh, visited him. And, uh, you know, I thought things were working really, really well. Um, you know, he was a small operation, only had a couple of employees. He was close. You know, 90 minutes to me is close when it comes to manufacturing. Uh, and so, you know, he built a, a couple of prototypes, and we were well on our way to, to moving forward. And he must have landed another job because his price just about doubled on me. <laughs> so... Um, you know, that's not going to work. Uh, you know, this has got to be affordable to kids. Um, so, uh, you know, then I went on uh, online and I started searching. Uh, you know, there's an organization or a network. I think it's called ThomasNet. Uh, they're great for finding manufacturers. You know, you can put your bid out there and it'll automatically go out to all these different manufacturers. And 
the problem is very few of them want to work with a startup company like me. And that was a significant challenge. Um, you know, so I kept making phone calls, kept sending out emails. You know, a lot of these guys, I could tell right away, I'm not going to get a response. I'll send one anyway. But, you know, when a guy has, you know, Joe at AOL.com for an email address tells me he's probably about 60 years old and he thinks AOL is the Internet, um, you know, just like <laughs> you said. <laughs> yeah, that was my dad, yeah. The internet's um, gonna go bankrupt, Dad. It's not. And it took it took me like a year to figure out what the hell he was saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know, I called a buddy of mine. He's a cabinet maker back in Colorado. We've been friends like 15 years, and and I had shown him uh, the desk when I first made the first one for my kids. Um, and at the time, he didn't have a CNC machine and. I called him up and said, hey, Tim, I need some advice here. I, You know, I've spent six or nine months trying to find a manufacturer. And he said, well, Darren, what a coincidence. Um, I just bought this fancy one, um, you know, six months ago, went through the training through Thurmwood in Indiana, and it's sitting here idle. I really want to keep it running. Let's talk. And And that was just a blessing. That was great. Um, so that is, that is certainly a challenge. Uh, um, logistics is another one. Um, you know, how do I get these things from point A to point B? Who is my customer? Is my customer going to be other uh, boutiques and retail outlets or is my customer going to be consumers? Is this going to be, you know, um, direct to consumer kind of thing? Um, if it is, you know, per unit, shipping is going to be a lot higher. Yeah. Um, but like we talked about before, this thing's too big to sit on the shelf of, of most stores. Um, so, you know, I worked uh, with this cabinet maker, um, figured out what his price point was going to be. Um, I worked with UPS and, uh, and said, you know, I need a business account. You know, what kind of price break can you give me? Uh, and we worked through that as well. I've looked at fulfillment centers. You know, Amazon is the most uh, popular one, um, but there's others out there, too. Um, Shipwire comes to mind, and that's all they do. They're just warehouse. You know, you ship your product to them on a pallet. Um, you give them the specs, whatever you want, you know, to, to compose of a unit. They'll separate all your parts and pieces and package them up for you. They sit in their warehouse. They've got an online portal. Um you know, they can even have an API plug-in to your e-commerce website uh, so that you always have updates. You know, if somebody buys something from you, um, then your e-commerce portal interfaces with Shipwire, uh, and it sends them the shipping information. They put a label on it, ship it out the door for you. Um, so that's the kind of automation that I'm hoping to be able to set up. Um but I've got to have the volume. I've got to have the sales. And, um, you know, that's the one thing that, that I, I've said throughout this whole thing here. Sales is the truth serum of my business. So uh, I'm still crossing my fingers here. I'm, you know, I've had nothing but uh, good feedback from everybody. Um, but um, oftentimes those are your friends telling you what you want to hear, right? Or they like the product, they like the idea of the product, but will they separate with their capital for the product? That's that's right. that's the truth here because there's a lot of stuff I like, right? 
But like, I like Ferraris. I, I can't tell you how much I like Ferraris. I really, really, really like Ferraris. Um, by now, I probably could own one. I would not own much else, but I could. So I have to make that determination. That's the extreme right. example. So the the key then is with a product that doesn't cost anywhere near as much as a Ferrari to actually be able to convey the value to the customer that it's not just a nice thing, but it is a thing that you because what you're selling is a multi generational product, right? And that 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 has a totally different value proposition, but conveying that especially through a retail establishment is a bit more difficult um but you know you probably will figure ways out to get it done if uh if it is to be you've probably had some pretty good wins along the way too though right i mean like it's not all like this is the thing it's like being an entrepreneur it, what it has in common with sales is like you get really excited over little things and you get really depressed over little things right so what are some of the things that have gotten you excited along the way um, you know, there's just, if you don't mind, there's one more challenge that I sure. want to point out. Um, and you can get on our, your rant if you want to, but believe it or not, I've got government regulations oh, good creating God. this big, huge hurdle right in front of me. <laughs> I kid you not. I laugh because it hurts. I mean, jeez. Uh, yeah. So this desk is kids' furniture. Um, and according to the Consumer Protection Safety Commission dot gov, oh um, yeah, there's regulations that I have to adhere to if I want to sell them a desk. So what I'm selling is a do-it-yourself do kit. Got you. Yeah, I, the I, minute I put paint on it, I fall into this whole new classification. I got you. So you're not selling a desk. You're selling a kit that a person can turn into a desk. Correct. And then they can paint it. They can finish it. They can make it unique. So that they, that that's that's jujitsu, right? That's that's martial arts. That's okay. I'm going to take your your attack and I'm going to redirect it into my marketing. Right. Um, right. Yeah, I, that makes sense. I, I've seen so much of this. I there's there's a lady that buys duck eggs from us. And she makes all different types of things out of different cloth. And one she thinks she makes is uh, reusable pads for, for ladies. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, they're now regulated under Obamacare as a medical device. Oh, my goodness. It's, it, it's, it, it's like, really? Like, that's necessary to protect the public, right? And it, all you have to do is charge the medical device tax, right? Which, for a small business person, is it, just... Cost. I mean, we're not talking about someone here that's that's in 50 stores. We're talking about a lady that has a small business out of her house. And there's just so much with that. But I guess it's not surprising to me when you point out that it's considered children's furniture. Because please think of the children. and Because mm -hmm. they might jump six inches off the seat. And I, I, I don't know. I, I just... Yeah. As though a parent is not capable of making this determination for themselves. And... I don't want to go off on a rant, but that's why parents aren't capable of making these determinations for themselves. Um, this concept that the government is supposed to keep us safe rather than we are supposed to be responsible for our own safety. But let's leave that go, and uh, I'll take a chill pill, a little sip of herbal tea here, <laughs> and uh, we'll go on and talk about some of the some of the upsides. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, redesigning for mass production has been a huge one for me. Um, because that that was a significant hurdle. My first manufacturer was like, 
Darren, there's just really no way to do this here. Um, and so I'm like, you know what? Uh, point out all of the problems that you see here and let me go back to my office and work on it. And that's what I did. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in SketchUp. Um, you know, and I had to learn that. I hadn't played with SketchUp before either. So I spent a lot of time just learning SketchUp um, so that I could make this, uh, you know, this wireframe rendering for him and then uh, take it back and, and work on it some more. Um, uh, pricing was a bit was a big one. Um, negotiating with UPS, um, you know, I have a business account. Um, that, that was a big one as well. Um, finally landing uh, this manufacturer who, you know, turns out was an old buddy of mine has been a real big win. Um, I've had a lot of help along the way, too. Um, you know, Josh uh, Sloan, known as PA Prepper Online, uh, you know, having that connection with him, uh, you know, I paid him to uh, create the website for me. And he spent a lot of extra time um, teaching me how to learn, um, you know, to you know, all of those nuances with WordPress and everything else. Um, and he threw in a lot of marketing advice. Um, another big win for me uh, was I saw an opportunity at a local university here in town uh, to take a, a marketing class for business owners, and it was free. Uh, so it's just one evening, and, and I said, honey, I'm going to go attend this class. And I did. And it was it was an okay class, um, but at the end of it, I handed him a copy of my my business plan. And I spent a lot of time mulling over what it's going to take to do a business, and I just put all my thoughts down on paper. It's kind of my way of digesting, um, you know, this whole plan of attack here. Um, and it was it, I'm a technical writer for work, so it wasn't a lot of work for me. It was it turned out to be like 27 pages, you know, single space typed. Um, but it was just kind of me just kind of vomiting all my thoughts and, and I had a template to follow, you know, anybody who thinks that that's just insurmountable, just, just open up Microsoft word and go to templates and new and business plan and just follow their template. You know, it, it, the outline is already there for you. So that's what I did. Um, and, and so I said, to the professor, hey, would you be willing to look at this? And he said, sure, um, you know, I'll give you a call in a few days. So he called me up and he said, so Darren, um, who wrote this for you? And I'm like, uh, nobody, I did it myself. He said, no, no, seriously, who, who are you working with? I'm like, nobody, it, it, it really is just me. And he said, we need to talk, when can we meet? And so we met and, and he asked me three or four different times during the conversation and I said, <laughs> I said, Kurt, it really is just me. I use Microsoft Word. I'm a technical writer for, you know, my nine-to-five job, too. So it, it, it was fairly easy for me. Um, and he said, okay, well, um, I've talked to the whole marketing department, and we essentially want to sponsor you. I'm like, what does that mean? Well, we want to coach you through launching your business. I'm like, How, what's it going to cost me? Nothing. What's in it for you? And he says, well, you know, we get to attach our name to it. You know, maybe you get a little bit of media coverage. And he said, he said, okay, I'll be straight with you. The, the more successful we are in helping to launch, you know, local sm startup companies, the more funding we get from the federal government. Hmm. So it's kind of a win-win for both of us. Said, okay. 
Um, so I sign this little piece of paper. There's really no commitment on my part. It's just, it's just for their records. And so I basically had him as kind of a consultant whenever I needed to call him up. And that was pretty neat. So come to find out this program's pretty common. So, um, might be worth looking into if anybody feels like they need some, you know, kind of a mentor or something. Um, they were helpful. Uh, and then the program was discontinued <laughs> six months later. Um, but that was pretty neat. And it was, uh, you know, kind of flattering or, or maybe not. Maybe it was just uh, an opportunity for them to try to win some more money uh, for their program. I don't know. But it, it was helpful for me to bounce a lot. If of it was ideas. helpful. It was you helpful know. in the end. I mean, that's, it absolutely was. Yeah. You know. That's that's yeah. kind of cool. So, um, as as you look at this all all through, what is your market? Who is this really for? Is there a niche? Is there a vertical that you can identify uh, that that you think you can attack? And I mean, because like a lot of things you're talking about, like when somebody says you say, well, like this is not really a retail product or whatever. Well, there's a reason. It's because you don't have sales, right? If you have a lot of sales. Yeah. Then everybody wants to talk to you. So it's getting that, that traction out of the gate. What is kind of your attack plan for that? Absolutely. So, yeah, I definitely need a marketing plan, and I've kind of put one together. What I've found, so as I'm learning all of these social media outlets and, you know, making contacts and everything else, um, and even doing Facebook lead ads, which uh, uh, don't even get me started, hasn't really worked out real well for me. Um, my my cost per conversion is just much higher than it needs to be. Uh, and I've done a lot of A-B testing there. But um, anyway, I think my niche, obviously someone could say, well, it's, it's everybody who has parents be, or, or kids between the ages of, of one and seven but not everybody's really going to want that desk. You know, for some, they're going to look at it and they're going to say, you know, that's really too big. Or it's, some are even going to look at it and say it's ugly. You know, Or some honest. are going to look at it and say, well, my kid's going to grow out of that. My kid's going to grow out of it. Or that's really expensive. Now, some people come to me and say, you know, Darren, $200, $230 um, for a desk. <laughs> and I say, you know what, I don't know about you, but when we had three kids all under the age of, six or five, we had like four or five strollers in the garage, um, you know, and each stroller is like, you know, I don't know, a hundred bucks, 200 bucks. So it really depends on where your priorities are. Um, but I've had the most likes or hearts or pins, you know, the, the most responses uh, from the Montessori groups and the homeschoolers. And so some of the homeschooling groups are like, you know what, this is a great way for me to get my toddlers away from the big kids who are doing their work at the kitchen table because my toddlers can sit at their own special table. You know, and I know that my kids, especially the younger one, trying to keep up with his big brothers, you know, he'd climb up on a chair and try to reach across the table, and that chair would scoot out from under him, and what would happen? He'd come slipping down, and he'd hit his chin on the edge of the kitchen table and fall on the ground and, you know, um, needed earplugs at that point. <laughs> um, so there, there's a market for it. I've had really good feedback from um, preschools, from you know, Montessori groups, from 
um, you know, several different mom groups in, in Facebook, um, daycares. My wife ran a daycare for uh, quite a while, and this desk was just absolutely perfect for her. It was a lifesaver. One of the biggest advantages is, you know, we get our kids, our boys are all boys, uh, all three of them are boys. And it didn't matter if we had, you know, a handful of crayons out there and and one of them was using a, a blue one and there's another blue one in front of this other kid. He wanted the blue one that his brother had, not the blue one in front of him. Sure. Um, that's just the way it is with kids. And this desk really naturally separates that space. And the kid really, you know, there's just something about the design that, that puts that little bit of separation between them. And it just eliminates the fussing between them. So anytime that they want to do any sort of coloring or, you know, uh, drawing or anything like that, anything artsy and craftsy, we put them at that table. There's no fussing. Put them at the kitchen table and everything's like within reach. So there's, there's really some great benefits to it. The other nice thing about it is, you know, it'll break down and slide under a bed, um, you know, we're in a closet. Um, so we've had a lot of good feedback. People seem to love it. The niche market is anybody with young kids between, you know, one and, and seven. So we'll see what the government regulations <laughs> say down the road. I may have to change that to three um, just because of some other regulations that I'm reading about right now. And, and let parents make their own determination. Exactly. Kind of things. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, how how are you advertising? You mentioned Facebook. Is there any other way you're getting you know the word out? Uh, you know, it, so far it's it's nearly a hundred percent social media. Um, Pinterest is one of the fastest growing social medias mm-hmm. right now, and um, Instagram. This seems ideal for that, by the way. Yeah, that, and that's what everybody tells me. So that one is fairly new to me. I don't have everything about Pinterest figured out so far. Um, so, uh, but I, I do have some online courses that I'm taking, and they've been super helpful. Um, but yeah, so far that's really that's really it. I mean, social media is just so big. Um, you know, obviously, hopefully this podcast will make a difference, too, and people will be willing, you know, to uh, to help out. That would be great. Um, but email marketing is another one. I've spent a lot of time looking at uh, mom blogs online and kind of kind of figuring out who the big players are and who the smaller players are. Um, so there's one that I've been talking to. I'm going to give her one, and she's going to do a review on it on her mom blog. Um, I, I couldn't believe it, Jack. When I when I started looking into this, just how big mom blogs are. Uh, there's mom blogs out there that have been so successful that their husbands quit their jobs. Yes. And and work for their wives full time. And then even on top of that, some of them have a staff of three or four people. Yes. That's all new to me. And I'm just gonna say it. There's not really any dad blogs, guys. I'm just saying there's a niche waiting to happen there too. There, I've, I know of about four of them or so. Yeah, but it's nothing like the mom blog Not, thing. It nope. isn't. Nothing at all. And, you know, to be honest with you, that that's something else that, um, you know, I spent a lot of time reading these mom blogs and, you know, kind of putting together a spreadsheet of, of who all the players are and 
how big their markets are. You know, I kind of measure them by how many Twitter followers and Facebook and likes and all that kind of stuff. And, um, uh, you know, got this little RSS uh, feed reader to to make things easier. I've learned how to use Buffer so that I really save a lot of time putting uh, posts out there and trying to develop those connections. Um, I've got a few connections to a, a few of the bigger influencers out there. Uh, one of them even from Shark Tank. Um, she and I have uh, communicated back and forth a little bit. So um, uh, hopefully she'd be willing to to mention my product there. But uh, it's all about networking. It's all about you know building those relationships and um, and and providing value to other people. That's what I've learned so far. I'm not claiming to be an expert, and I still have a ton to learn about uh, how this is going to run. I may have to make some adjustments all, along the way. I may need to change my strategy. Um, but but so far, you know, I'm plugging along, and things seem to be going in a good direction. Very cool. So what are some of the things you're still trying to kind of sort out and figure out where you, where you need to go to next? Right now, I'm going to be focused on the Kickstarter for the next 30 days. Um, you know, they say you need to run that for 30 days and, and end on a certain day of the week. And so, you know, I've taken all of that into consideration. I think it's running for 33, 34 days. Um, once that works, um, if it works and we hit our goal, um, then we're going to take a little family vacation um, out to Colorado and, and visit the manufacturer. You know, he happens to be a friend of the family. Um, you know, they've got kids um, the same age as my kids and all that. And um, we're, we're actually going to get our hands dirty and package these up and ship them out ourselves. Um, and then that's going to give us just enough to turn around and build our inventory back up. I'm not taking profits from this company and, you know, paying off our own bills. I'm just reinvesting in our own inventory and then into marketing. Now, coincidentally, I do have another product on my drafting table. So you take a look at the design of this A-frame style desk right now. Um, I want to make a flat top version. Mm. That way kids can do Play-Doh. They can do puzzles, you know, Battleship. Um, games, whatever. But I think a flat top version might be uh, welcomed as well. Um, so that's what I'm hoping to do. I want to develop that next product. Now, my vision, of course, I've, I've always got tons of ideas. So there are other things that I want to do. Um, there's somebody else actually in the TSP space. I met him in, in your forum. Uh, we got to talking. And uh, we're working on a game. Um, so he's had some other issues and, and I've been developing, um, this desk. So that's kind of been on the back burner, but once this gets going and I get the second product out, the second one should go tons faster, right? I'm, de I'm developing my market, um, you know, my followers, hopefully I've got some more infrastructure in place for logistics and on automation. That's really important to me, you know, cause I could be a slave to this business or this business could be here to serve me. And I really want to get to that point where the business is here to serve me and I'm not a slave to it. Um, you know, it's not going to run 100% automated. Um, not any day of the week is it going to be fully automated, but hopefully I can cut back on my time a little bit and, uh, you know, we get some traction here. 
Um, but yeah, I want to develop that second desk. And then I want to focus on, um, on a few other things that I've got in the back of my mind. Very, very cool, man. Um, and, uh, is, so is this the only business you have going then? It is. Um, I've, I've certainly done some consulting on the side, you know, as a telecommunications engineer. Um, I don't really have any interest in that anymore. I've been doing that for 18 years, and uh, that's not really what I want to do. I don't want to trade my time. Um, you know, I want to set up something that's a little bit more lasting. You know, my kids have even said, you know what, Dad? Um, you know, if I don't make it to the major leagues in baseball, um, I might really want to run your business. <laughs> and I smile and I'm like, man, that would be so cool. That would just be awesome to set up a business and be able to, you know, um, have my kids run it down the road. I, you know, my dad always said, if you're going to dream, dream big. You know, I, I, of course, I'm a long way from that, but who knows? You know, this this could just be a stepping stone to something else. Um, I, I do feel like I'm a little late in the game being, you know, 40 years old by the time I finally took a, a plunge. Um, I've had a couple of failed businesses in the past. Um, you know, I tried to start a business with a buddy. This was before I was even married. Um, and that didn't work out. Um, and I really don't recommend that, especially when you're that young and immature. Um, that, that put a little stress on the friendship there. Um, but I'm a little bit older, a little bit wiser, and, and hopefully a little bit smarter, make some smarter decisions along the way here. So um, I am doing this pay-as-you-go. I've not taken out a loan, despite what the university recommended. Um, I, I'm, I'm funding this as I go here. So, well, very cool. And I think that not... I think there's too many people out there who have like, oh, I have three businesses, and how many are successful? Well, none yet. Okay, maybe we focus on a business and we make it successful and we make it operate like a business, and then we think very hard before we even you know start another business. Often, I think people do that, and you have all of this focus on this one business. You're better off expanding it and keeping your efforts in this one successful thing, once you make it successful, than chasing a bunch of other things. As a serial entrepreneur, I don't always follow that advice, but generally it's because I'm trying to help other people get their thing going. Um, but when it comes to my own, like if I'm going to do something on my own, I kind of stick, keep it all inside the fold because you're already focused there. And as you've learned through hard knocks over the last couple of years, it's a lot of work. And if you're, you know, you try to think, well, how would I ever be able to do this somewhere else? And you really can't. You can only really have one business that you're really fully ingrained in if you're going to be the one that's fully ingrained in it. Right, right. Um, yeah, I was splitting my time there for a while. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of times I, I digest all of these thoughts pretty well when I put them down on paper or, in my case, you know, keyboard. And so um, – I was kind of keeping this journal. I was chronicle, um, chronicling um, everything that I was doing along the way for quite a long time, and it was helpful. And then I said, you know what? Why don't I just turn this into a blog? And so I turned it into a blog. You know, if anybody wants to look at it, it's mystartupchallenge.com. Um, so I've got, uh, you know, I don't know, six, uh, I don't know, sixty or eighty 
pages. You know, obviously they're all broken up into posts on the blog, um, but uh, just pretty detailed uh, steps that I've done along the way. And then I started getting more concerned about the blog than about the business. And I was like, well, you know, I'm really not getting traffic. How do I, you know, optimize this? And started studying everything about SEO optimization and, um, you know, how can I provide and, you know, how do I do ads and how do I, drive, you know, get link backs? And, and I realized that was taking too much time away. So, if you, you know, if anybody wants to read about that, that's fine. I'm going to pick it back up and I'm going to continue where I left off sharing all of these lessons learned. But right now, I really feel like I need to focus on this business. If I'm focused on too many other things, then I don't think I'm putting all of my uh, doing a, a real good job with it. If my time is split, my attention is split, um, then I'm only giving 50% to each one of those things. I really want to give 100% to this business because, honestly, I can't afford to let this one fail. You know, my wife had that, that come to Jesus meeting with me, and she said, honey, if this Kickstarter doesn't work, I really need you to call it quits. So it's kind of a wake-up call for me. That's mm. that's when I decided to focus only on it. I don't care what kind of traffic I get at, at that blog over there. Um, so, you know, if folks are interested more in the business aspect of this conversation rather than the product, Go to that blog and go ahead and opt in with your email address. And I'm not sending newsletters out. I'll do that someday down the road. Um, but when I pick it back up, I'll let you guys know. And um, at that point, uh, I'll give everybody a, a copy of the business plan that I put together that I've got the attention of that marketing professor. You know, maybe that'll help you guys out with, uh, you know, outlining your own course for your own products. Very, very cool, man. Well, I think you just magically got a backer on your Kickstarter. Um, oh, why don't you tell folks how they can learn more about you, find your product, find your Kickstarter, all that stuff. Right, right. Um, the Kickstarter should be fairly easy to find. Just put in the company name, which is Kids Double Desk. Um, that'll bring it right back up. Um, if you visit facebook.com slash kids double desk, um, that should come up for you too. Uh, you can email me at Darren at Kids Double Desk if you want. Um, I'll probably post uh, an announcement out there on the TSP. You know, just kind of I did it in the business section. Um, if anybody has questions, you know, I'd be happy to share my experience with folks. Um, and uh, Kids Double Desk is kind of my handle everywhere. Um, I, I was able to get that, you know, for Flickr and YouTube and Twitter and, and everything. So that should come up pretty easily for anybody who's interested. I, I do have one piece of free consulting for you. So I'll take uh, it. Absolutely. On your website, it says DIY Double Desk Kit coming to Kickstarter. Um and if I click on that, I go to another page on your website. Instead of it taking you to Kickstarter. Kickstarter. So I would make that change um, because any traffic to your site right now, you want to push to your Kickstarter, right, to get that to fund. And Because uh, I had to basically go to Kickstarter and search for you to find your Kickstarter. Yeah, so, yeah. And you're absolutely right. And, and I had just hit launch on my Kickstarter gotcha. literally minutes before. So 
I've got a lot of work to do this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, you do. Uh, it's a long and steep road. Some very experienced Kickstarter um, creators have uh, have told me, Darren, your goal is pretty high for a first-time Kickstarter creator. Uh, most of them set a goal a little bit lower, and I told them, I'm like, unfortunately, you know, I've negotiated bulk pricing on all my materials, um, but this is the minimum order that I need to buy from my manufacturer, uh, it, it, you know, for a first batch run. Yeah. And so this covers it and then, you know, restocks my inventory so that I can continue. And that is, that's the floor, unfortunately. It is an aggressive goal, but who knows? Uh, if you don't take the shot, you never make the basket. So uh, I'm That's right. really, really excited to see if this, this works out for you. You do have your first backer. And, well, thank you, uh, sir. I appreciate it. I personally hope that it funds because I'd actually like to uh, put my finishing touch on one of these. I have a new granddaughter on the way and a grandson, so um, this would be really cool for uh, for them. So. Uh, I'm hoping it funds, and I'll make sure that we, you know, reach out in all directions to folks. And I will, of course, have links to your website and your Kickstarter and all that good stuff in the show notes today. And I appreciate you for being with us. That's really neat, Jack. I appreciate it. I've been a listener since uh, about oh nine, oh ten, right when you made that transition to your yeah. office. I yeah. went back when I was on business trips and listened to all your Jetta episodes too, and all of your five minutes with Jack. I got to tell you, that was really helpful. I listened to all of your episodes with uh, Five Minutes with Jack probably two or three times <laughs> as I'm cranking away. You know, just put the Bluetooth in the ear and my head down and I'm working. And anyway, um, you've given a lot to the community and I really do appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you being with us today and thank you and good luck in your Kickstarter, Darren. Thank you, sir. Well, great interview with a great guy, and please consider getting on over to Darren's Kickstarter and consider picking up one of these for your kids or grandkids or soon-to-be kids. It is a really cool thing. It's kind of an innovative idea. It looks cool, and uh, the way it's designed, it should last a very, very long time um, and uh, easy to assemble. You can just look at it and see how to assemble it and uh, finish it your own way so that the government doesn't get upset that you are buying something for your kids without them being involved in the transaction. I'm just saying. I really think this is a cool product, and I'd love to see it fun because, frankly, again, I want one for my uh, my soon-to-be granddaughter and my grandson. I think it would be a cool little project for my wife and I to do together as the uh, do the finishing work because it really is not difficult at all to finish off a product like this. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and uh, remind you guys, if you like this show and you want to support the work I do. Uh, the way you can support me as an entrepreneur is to go to the survivalpodcast.com and click, click on members to learn more about the members support brigade. If you join the MSB or member support brigade, you'll get discounts available nowhere else and you'll get exclusive content available nowhere else with a product that more than pays for itself. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty and prior service along with first responders like EMTs, paramedics and firefighters. All of you do qualify for a discount. Uh, you just go to TSP. Uh, I'm sorry, if you're one of those people, just send me an email, jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Put TSPC service discount in the subject line. Tell me about your service and one or two sentences. Everybody else, just click on members at the survivalpodcast.com and sign up. Really appreciate you guys supporting my show. Without you, I couldn't do it. The other way you can support my show that's really, really simple and getting to be kind of cool, if you go to tspaz.com, also known as tspaz, Go to tspaz.com for tspamazon.com. You'll get to amazon.com, 
Buy stuff on Amazon like you always buy on Amazon with no concern about anything. Uh, no extra money, no nothing. And when you do that, you help support my show. That's really an easy way, kind of a win-win for everybody. I win, Amazon gets free advertising, and, and you just buy your stuff on Amazon like you were probably going to do anyway. So it's as easy as it gets. In fact, T-SPAS is one letter less than Amazon. So you're actually typing in one less letter. What makes it cool now, I put up a different product every day, a product that I am using myself. And uh, if you want to see today's product, it actually has something to do with air guns. But exactly what it is, I'm not going to tell you. If you want to know, you'll have to go to tspaz.com. And uh, then if you do any shopping on Amazon at all, we get credit for it. It works out for everybody. Um, I've had a couple of you ask, like, if I go through T-SPAS and put stuff in my wait list and then later check out with it through the app or something, do you guys get credit for it? It doesn't look like we do based on some testing. I can't see who you are, but I can see what you buy. And I've had people make some pretty big purchases that we haven't gotten credit for because of things like that. Or they go through it at work and they put it in their, 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 their future list or whatever. And then they go home and they just go to Amazon and log in. So you have to go to tspaz.com. Click on the product you're going to buy if you want us to get credit for it. Uh, I appreciate you taking the extra step to do that if you want to support our work. Uh, also, tspbiz.com, uh, Kids Double Desk is listed there. Uh, they're a great company, but a lot of other companies are listed there. Today's uh, supporting member of the TSP Business Directory is Phil W. Books. Published fiction and nonfiction books with permaculture and anarchist themes. Phil's new releases can be read free at philwbooks.com. Or check out the link on the TSP Business Directory. So books about permaculture and anarchism from philwbooks.com with free books that you can read right on their website. Check them out today. And, and with that, I want to kind of finish up with, you know, you did hear a person today that you can tell, man, I've given it everything. This either works now or it doesn't. I can't keep doing this. I've reached kind of the point where I'm either going to get it over the hill or I'm going to accept that this is not to be. That's what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And honestly, that's what it takes to succeed in life. That's what it takes to succeed with money. That's what it takes to succeed with a career. Um, you know, If you get to a point where you feel like my job's safe and I'm just going to coast, a lot of times those are the people that when times get tough, the first one's laid off. You, you have to work hard. You have to give it to your all. But you also have to balance things. Uh, when I started the Survival Podcast, guys, I worked a ridiculous amount of hours because I already had a job that I was putting 50 to 60 hours a week in. And it was actually running several companies is what I was doing uh, as a partner and, and a couple and as uh, basically as a holding company running the others. It was a complicated situation. And... I put a tremendous amount of effort into doing that, and I had to get this show started from nothing. And a lot of people would have looked at where I was and said, well, why? Why would you do it? Uh, because you had a good income. You had it, you had it made. You, know, you could have, even if you didn't want to be where you were, you could have found another job making plenty of money. Why? And it's because of the mentality in, in this song that I was willing to basically start over from scratch again in my life. This song is by Chris Ledoux, and it's called Working Man's Dollar. And it's been a long time since I've felt like the people that this song is about, the people that just barely make it week to week, but I was one of them. I was one of them. And I realized over the years 
that if I was ever going to get to a point where I didn't have to ever be there again, that I needed to control my own destiny. That maybe not everybody does. There are people that can just work a career their whole lives. And that's great if that's you. And there are people like me that we can't. We have to find our own path and our own way. But we both have a common thing if we become successful. The work ethic. The willingness to work hard even when we're, we become what others look at and call successful. Even when we get to a point where people say you don't really need to work harder, we still work harder because we believe in what we do. And it's those people that this song's about because it's those people that eventually get to a point where they're not just scraping to make ends meet because they put everything they have in 100%. And when something's not working, even if it's hard, they go a different direction, they change course, and they figure out what does work. That's what this is about for me. That's what entrepreneurship's about for me. That's what work ethic is about for me. I, I, I was recently in a conversation with somebody who was telling me how I had, you know, the, the, the typical thing, you have white privilege and look at what you have and, and everything. And I'm like, you know, my first job was in a turkey farm as a teenager because I needed money to pay my rent because I moved out of my house when I was 15 years old because my parents were a disaster. I had an alcoholic father and a drug-addicted mother, and they were in the middle of a divorce, and neither one of them would leave because they both thought whoever left the house, the other one would get the house and the divorce. So in self-preservation mode, I ended up getting a place to live for myself as a 15-year-old, actually 14 years old, but it was really, really quick, right before my 15th birthday. And uh, one of the first jobs I got was at a turkey farm where I cleaned the processing equipment and did fun things like hose turkey heads down a trough. And I worked hard for the working man's dollar at that point. And... If I look back at a lot of the people that I went to school with, a lot of them haven't come much further than that. They really haven't because they didn't believe that they could. So when I play music like this, I always want it to be, instead of just kind of like, this is where I'm stuck at, this is what it takes to get beyond where I'm at. This is what it takes to be an entrepreneur. This is what it takes to be successful in life. As successful as an athlete, successful in whatever you're going to do. The attitude of no matter what it takes, I'm going to make it. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help me figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Well, I'm just a working man's dollar in the pocket of his old blue jeans. I ain't like my Wall Street brother. He's in the banks of shiny and clean. Well, I'm faded and I'm wrinkled, tattered and stained with sweat. But I'm the first one called when Uncle Sam needs a hand with a national debt. I've been wages for the farmhand for driving an old John Deere. I've been laid on a bar in a tavern to buy a working man an ice cold beer. I've been tipped to a truck stop waitress. Paper I was torn And in the hand of a child I was laid on a plate in the church On a Sunday morning Well they say I'm the root of all evil I bring lust, power and greed But this working man's dollar Only buys the things A working man really needs
to say I'm worth about 50 cents in this modern inflated age. But don't tell that to the young man slaving to make it on a minimum wage. Or that single working mother, she's been scraping to make ends meet. To make a house a home and keep food on the table and shoes on her baby's feet. Well, I know my days are numbered. I'm getting threadbare and wearing thin. And they'll replace me with another. But I'd do it all again. Cause I've seen this great big country pass from hand to calloused hand. And I've got to say that I'm mighty proud that I belong to the working man. Well, they say I'm the root of all evil. I bring lust, power, and greed. But this working man's dollar only buys the things a working man really needs. 